This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. The Our Heart Learning Project is offering four learning opportunities to explore reconciliation, anti-racism, and building a healthy community in Campbell River. The first workshop is a virtual event facilitated by Mary Catherine Williams on Thursday, March 24th, as Williams, who is both an organizer of the project and executive director of Volunteer Campbell River, explained. I've got so many workshops going on. The first one is a journey of reconciliation for nonprofits. So really looking at our role in the nonprofit organization. The next series of workshops is the anti-racism response training. So that's for Wednesday afternoons in April. And that's a way of sort of looking at how do we respond when we experience or witness a racist incident? How can we make our decisions and our actions count in those circumstances to be anti-racist? Then we have a workshop with Kathy Camilleri, the Building Bridges Through Understanding, and that is both um, an in-person workshop in April and a, and a Zoom version, so a virtual version towards the end of April. So those are the four workshops that we have coming up. All the workshops are free and people can register online and they can um, do that through event. We have space in all our workshops. Everyone is welcome. This is a heart journey and that's why the project is called Kwakolin Senok, which is the Likwata words for learning in your heart or heart learning. And that to me is the essence of this is that we need to begin to understand from a heart perspective, from an emotional perspective, not a head's perspective necessarily, a way to move forward together to be safe and healthy in our communities. And so it's about changing our ways of thinking and knowing on both sides to get to know each other. Mary Ruth Snyder, Executive Director of the Campbell River and District Chamber of Commerce, has supported the Our Heart Learning Project since its early days. In regard to the spring workshop, she said, Canada as a country came to an abrupt halt last spring with the news of the discovery of children's graves at former residential schools. And I think for many Canadians, while they may have suspected that was the case, they didn't know for sure, and it was easily set aside as hearsay. When it became abundantly clear that it was in fact true at not just one, but several locations across the country, I think the reality of the First Nations experience over the last 150 years came into focus for those of us who are not First Nations. The only way for us to move forward as a society holistically is to acknowledge what happened, to listen to those who are able to share their stories 
acknowledge their truths, and only then can we move forward with the First Nations towards reconciliation. These workshops will assist in that process. Mary Simon, who's our new Governor General, describes reconciliation as getting to know one another. And I think that's just such a beautiful concept. It's really about building relationships that we haven't had healthy relationships between our nations and our, in lots of cases, people have worked together and there've been opportunities and in some ways it's gone well, but overall there's still quite a disconnect between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians. So I think we've got a great opportunity to get to know each other. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly followed the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. I was able to be at the committee hearings both days back in 2015 when the committee was in in Camel River and followed along as the reports were released. Chief Justice Marie Sinclair, I really loved his statement that we've created the steps for you to climb and now it's your job to do the climbing to get ourselves to the top of that mountain of reconciliation. So the the 94 calls to action really give us a guidance of what we can do in our own lives, in our organizations, in our governments, in our laws and legislations. And it's up to us as Canadians to do the work, to look at where those calls to action impact us in our lives or in our work and try and make uh, the changes that will help. In 2019, prior to the pandemic, prior to the recent um, discovery of the graves on various sites of residential schools, my organization, myself, CED at Volunteer Cam River, applied for funding from the civil forfeiture stream of uh, funding. Our proposal was that we wanted to build connections in our community, in Campbell River and surrounding area between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples, organizations, build connection, build relationship, build understanding so that we could all move forward to make our nonprofit organizations more welcoming, more safe, our businesses, and for all of us to just begin to work better together and have a healthier community. Because I, I know that even for Clahoose and the, the other parts of Cortez Island, there's always complications. Some things go well, some things don't go well. Certainly here in Campbell River, our city and the Wewakam Nation have just signed an agreement to begin to work together. That's taken some time to get to that place. There's always room for us to learn more about each other. So that was the intention. But of course, we had grandiose pre-pandemic plans of having sort of some larger events coming together in a larger way and then end up with smaller groups of of organizations. Well, the pandemic came along, (laughs) slowed everything down. We got some extensions, had a small group that was kind of guiding us in the project. And in the end, we decided to set up a series of workshops about getting to know each other. So we were able to invite different speakers who presented themselves. I just opened it up to the community and said, if you know, if you have something that you would like to help us learn about your nation or your yourself or what you do or who you are, one of the pieces of advice was to not bring people from far away to teach us about Indigenous people who are here. Because <laughs> that happens a lot, <laughs> bring experts from somewhere else. So we listened to that. So we had things like a young man, Corey Cliff is his name. He's a steward of the land, part of the Wewakam Nation. He's part of the Canoe Journeys. He's just a lovely young man, really, really passionate about youth and helping Indigenous youth 
you know, be healthy and successful. June Johnson talked to us about what she learned from her mom and her grandma about how to use medicinal plants in this area. We had a young woman do a presentation on the Indian Hospital in Nanaimo and how that impacted the experiences of people in our area who were living there and consequently have sort of trauma around their own health and well-being and just things like that. So we had those kinds of workshops. We had some other ones as well. And then the second half of this project now is happening. This is sort of the the tail end of the project. We're trying to come together a little bit in a bigger way to do some thinking about what this is all about. So my workshop, the one on Thursday, Reconciliation for Nonprofits, it's really just an exploration about as a nonprofit organization and as staff within our staff and volunteers within our organizations, what can we do? What is our responsibility? What is our um, opportunity to learn and help understand what has happened in Canada and what we can do to build healthier communities? And it's just based on my own experience doing the work I've been doing for 30 years, um, trying to learn and understand and do better. Kathy Camilleri's workshops also are a way for people to begin to have an understanding of the history of Canada and um, different ways of thinking and knowing that I think a lot of people haven't really attached to our Indigenous neighbours and, and colleagues and really understanding how we can learn to work together. We also in the fall did her workshop called Paddling Together. That workshop really explores how we can rebuild our communities in a healthier way um, using the values of the village that we learn in the village workshop. So really the workshops are meant to give people opportunity to reflect, to learn, to think, to get to know our local neighbors <laughs> and Indigenous and non-Indigenous and come together to help be healthier, help be, uh, build, our, our, build a healthier community for everyone here. Why have you specifically targeted businesses and nonprofit organization? One of the things that we hear and I've heard over the years in my career as well as personally is that there is the experience of racism in our community. Indigenous people who live here do feel both a racist attitude and also sometimes a separation. And there's been lots of experiences about why that's true or why that appears to be true. So we really wanted to encourage organizations, both businesses and nonprofit, to look at how do they do business? How do they, how is the organization run? How do they invite people in? What are the processes for becoming either a client or a recipient of service or accessing the services of the organization that might turn someone away, make someone feel that they don't belong, uh, have a microaggression or more, <laughs> many microaggressions involved in that process. So really to get organizations to begin thinking about how to be less racist in the end and more welcoming and more collaborative. And I don't think a lot of us even know where to start with that. I don't think a lot of us even realize that that is what it's like unless we hear about that. So that was the impetus. Part of this workshop series is the anti-racism training that we're offering. That's intentional because we know that reconciliation is one part of our story, but racism and the way we think about people and our attitudes and our opinions that we've all grown up with really have to change. And we have to reflect on those attitudes and opinions in order to make change. And so that's where the anti-racism workshop has come in. Two opposite questions. Yeah, go. The first one is examples of racism uh, in our community. 
a couple examples that I've witnessed and seen. For example, I was a foster parent and in my younger years, we had a teenage foster son who was from the Homoko Nation. Although my husband is Indigenous, our our children don't appear to be Indigenous. They're mixed heritage, and so they don't obviously appear to be Indigenous. So we were in a store, and I was there with three or four of my children, as well as our foster son, and he was followed entirely throughout the store. He was 15, and the, our children were a little bit younger, but he was followed, I think it was like a dollar store or something, I can't remember what it was, but it was a store. I watched them follow him, and he was doing nothing inappropriate. I was near him, but I don't think they realized that we were together, even though we were communicating he was watched the entire time he was in the store and he knew he he knew that he was being followed it wasn't aggressive and he wasn't singled out verbally or anything like that but when we got outside I said they followed you and he said that happens all the time (laughs) I'm used to it I don't even pay attention anymore because I know I'm not doing anything wrong but that was one example I certainly have heard examples hopefully in the past where patients have not felt safe in the hospital um, setting where they have been treated differently than someone who was not Indigenous. I know from a perspective of our policies and practices, I worked at the Volunteer Centre for a number of years. And when you want to volunteer somewhere, you have to come in and you have to fill out a form and you have to go to the police station and fill out a criminal record check and fill up another form and come to some training. And it's all very much about the process. It's not about getting to know the person first. I think that if we were able to flip it around, which we're trying to do, so that we invite people in to volunteer and we get to know you and we find out about you and we learn about what your interests are and have conversations with you, then we can move into some of those more formal requirements. And how can we help you with those? What are some barriers that might be in the way of having that formal process completed? That's the way I'd like to see things move. So just trying to look at our practices and our procedures and see where are there barriers, where might someone feel uncomfortable if someone hasn't had a good experience with the police or if their family has had a difficult experience or if we think of the residential school circumstances, there's sort of an, a negative relationship between the police and families from many years gone by. And some of that is still is resonating for families now. So it might be uncomfortable to go to the police station and ask for your criminal record check, even if you don't have a criminal record. <laughs> so just trying to look at some of those practices and policies that we all have, because that's how we are very much about our policies and practices. How can we learn where they might be hurtful or harmful or uncomfortable? And if we look at doing things in a way that is more respectful and more relational, then I think it'll be safer and, and more positive. Now, I want to ask from the opposite direction. Where the perceived racism isn't actually racism, but it's cultural differences. Yeah, can, can you give me some examples of that? It's hard for me to ask that question because being a person who's from the mainstream culture, I don't experience those experiences myself. But what I've learned is that an Indigenous way of knowing and being that I'm learning is very much based on relationship first and everything else after. So where we talk about that cultural difference, I think in our Western way of doing things, we might be more about process and outcome, and we forget about relationship. We don't spend as much time and effort building relationships 
And um, when I want to do my work in a good way, I, I want to spend more time building relationships and then we'll work on the processes. The example I'll, I'll give you is the city of Victoria and the Songhees Nation just worked on an agreement over the last five years. And the, the mayor of Victoria talked a lot about that, that they wanted to set up a committee. <laughs> we need to work together. Let's make a committee. And the, the leaders of the nation said, you know, we, we have families in our traditional way of doing things. We create families. So if you'd like to create a family relationship with us and we can learn from each other as a family, then I think we would go ahead. And that's what they did. And the following few years, they spent time together learning about each other and doing work but they did it from that perspective of building a family rather than having committee structure. <laughs> so that's what I think when we talk about those different ways of experiencing things that might appear to be racist, maybe there were different ways of knowing and being, but I think we can all benefit from learning from each other. I think about it a lot, like as a kid growing up, where was I happiest? I was happiest when I got to spend time with people, whether it was over a meal or doing crafts or playing games together. Those are the things that really were rich in my life. And we still got things done. I, I was a student at school and I was successful. There's still things in my life that were very much part of those bigger structures and following the rules and all of that, following the, the norms of our culture. But I think trying to blend the two can be very effective. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sure I've made many, many, many mistakes in my time. And I, and I think, I mean, this is a lot of learning and my husband's Indigenous and didn't grow up knowing much about himself as an Indigenous man and his culture and his background and the impact on his family of colonization. I think everyone has a different story and a different place that they're coming from in these experiences. And we just have to be patient with ourselves and be thoughtful. And, you know, not everybody wants to be on this journey right now. And that's okay, too. But I do. <laughs> and, and I'm hearing from organizations that I work with and people that I work with in my field that lots of people are wanting to learn more and maybe do better. You've been listening to interviews with Mary Catherine Williams and Mary Ruth Snyder about the Open Heart Learning Project workshops on reconciliation for businesses nonprofit organizations, and all interested individuals. I'm going to put up a program with contact information in the written version of this post. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>